Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for being with us always. Thank you for that promise uh, that you are with us even to the end of the age. We rely on that promise, and God, we ask you to pour out your spirit on us. Again, help us as we look at the scripture. Help us as we uh, listen for what you're saying to us. And help us as we consider what we might do about that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. It's good to be uh, meeting, if we can say that, in this way. And a special welcome to you if you're a guest uh, with us this morning. We're so glad you've kind of found this service online and can engage uh, with us in this way. Our whole church family uh, kind of engages this online worship service wherever they happen to be. If they're uh, home alone, some people do this by themselves. Uh, other people get together with friends by video call and do the service together. Some are, are worshiping in families at home. So wherever you find yourself, welcome to this service. This, of course, is the first Sunday after Easter, and we're starting a new series today called Following Jesus. And in a way, it's the natural next step after Easter. Uh, as someone who, who tries to preach, at least, I find that every once in a while, I say something in a sermon that really hits home in a way that I didn't expect. And that happened to me last week. Uh, if you didn't listen to the Easter message, it revolved largely around this idea of how we picture Jesus. Meaning, when we call to mind an image of Jesus, um, we thought about how we imagine him. And there was another uh, Christian author and, and speaker who made the observation that often when he asked people to imagine Jesus, they brought to mind a picture of Jesus in his pre-resurrection state uh, rather than you know, how he is now, uh, the living, reigning, ruling king of the universe. And man, that idea seemed to hit home with you who engaged that service. I received a whole bunch of emails and commentary on that. So that idea seemed to capture the imagination of some. And, and rightly so, because seeing Jesus as he is now has implications for us. You, you can't just move on with life as normal once you've seen and known that Jesus is actually alive and is actually the king he claimed to be. You know, the apostle John received that revelation and he has shared that with us. So now we've received it too. We've already listened to the scripture for today from Colossians chapter three. And the apostle Paul follows something of a pattern in his writing. He, he tends to move from sharing the gospel, presenting the claims of Jesus uh, on to then what it means for our lives. There's a very natural flow there. In, in the Christian tradition, uh, we kind of move through a pathway of discipleship that involves both repentance and belief. Repentance, in the, 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 its best uh, way of being understood, has to do with a change of thinking. It's, it's the internal change. Belief, then, is the alignment of our life. So repent means change your thinking. Believe means align your life. And Paul, Paul follows that pattern. He flat refuses to teach doctrines of faith without unpacking how those need to translate into life. And, and he also refuses to call his hearers to a new way of living 
until they've understood what it means to be new people in Christ. And, and this is the first and most important piece of following Jesus, that we have new life in Christ. This isn't just a new way of thinking. It's not just that we've found, uh, quote, found religion. It's not just that we've found a spiritual pathway that happens to work for us. You know, with this basic assumption being that we human beings are at the center and, and if we find something spiritual to, to fill up that aspect of our lives, that would be a positive thing. That would give us a more fulfilling life. You know, sometime back, uh, Pastor Joel Osteen of a big church in Houston, Texas, wrote a book titled, Your Best Life Now. And I won't, I won't get into that. He took some heat from the, from the Christian world regarding that. The book has been on a bestseller in the New York Times self-help category for years. I, if, if we were to title these four verses in Colossians, written by Paul, in a similar way, Rather than your best life now, we might call them your real life now. Uh, That's the appeal Paul is making for us to embrace our real life now in Christ. In the first couple chapters of Colossians, Paul presents the gospel. And then here at the beginning of chapter 3, he's making that turn again, which he often makes toward the implications for our lives. Here's the first part of verse one again. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Now, if you've accepted Christ, meaning if you've placed your trust in Jesus, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, if you've accepted Christ, let me ask you this. Do you feel like you have been raised with Christ? Past tense now. Do you feel like you have been raised? Now this, this doesn't mean, you know, the, the general resurrection at the end of all things. It doesn't mean that the resurrection has already happened. It's getting at the realities depicted in baptism. That when we're in Christ, that when we have life in Christ, it's like We've gone into the water, been submerged where our old self dies in the sense that we're forgiven and cleansed of our sin and and the old goes away. And then we come up out of the water to a brand new life, alive from the dead, having been raised with Christ. And Jesus talked about being born again, about uh, beginning a kind of life that was so new, the only way to describe it was as a a birth, new birth. And and this kind of newness of life is in verse three of the passage we read today. Paul wrote this, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And Paul says the same thing in a different way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. As a Christian, your real life now is that you have been made brand new in Jesus. You know, I don't know if you feel that way, but you are. 
if you're trusting Christ. Christians are experiencing right now a kind of life that comes only from God. And that's what the in Christ part is about. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you know, when we cross the line of faith by admitting we need help, crying out to God for help and receiving the forgiveness that God offers us in Jesus, we're adopted as a son or daughter of God, incorporated into Christ by grace and through faith. So much so that the Apostle Paul can write this, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's the fourth verse of the passage we read today. If we're in Christ, Christ himself is our life. In this sense, we have been raised with Christ already to an entirely new existence. I mean, Jesus is not a religious idea. Jesus is the living, reigning, ruling king of the universe. And as we understand that, our lives are incorporated into his life, the life of the king of the universe. And that changes us. That has implications for us. It impacts how we live. It impacts how we speak. It impacts the stories we tell ourselves. It changes everything. I mean, everything becomes new in Jesus. And we are to take an active role in nurturing that new life. You know, nurturing our faith, this this basic belief that we have been raised with Christ and that our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. You know, Paul starts off this passage with, with that line, since then you have been raised with Christ. Those, those two words taken together, since then, could also be understood because, I mean, he's unpacking a rationale for some instructions he's going to give us. And then at the end, uh, you know, verse four, he's, he makes this claim, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I guess that's verse three, actually. Uh, but that's rationale too. So Paul gives us... Uh, uh, some, some rationale uh, kind of makes bookends of those things and in the middle are the instructions he gives to us. So what are those instructions? It's the second half of verse one and verse two. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is and set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your heart and set your mind I mean, think about that for a moment. Taken together, the heart and mind, representing our feelings and our thoughts, are a lot of what makes up a person. I've learned that you can always use one of two very basic questions to draw out other people in conversation. How does that make you feel? And what do you think about that? It's just going after the Feelings and thoughts kind of thing. And, and some people prefer one of those questions to the other or, or one of those questions will elicit more feedback from people than the other, most likely, because some are more feelers and some are more thinkers, right? Feelings and thoughts, heart and mind. So what does it mean to set your heart and mind? Well, to set your heart 
is to direct your desiring. Let me say that again. To set your heart is to direct your desiring. You've heard the saying, home is where the heart is. Uh, There's a lot more to that than simply being a warm, fuzzy tagline for a Hallmark movie. In, In a spiritual sense, what you desire becomes where you live. Home is where the heart is. I mean, this is the problem with idolatry. When we give ultimate allegiance to something or someone other than God, we place more value on that thing or person than on God. And more than that, in the words of Calvin University philosophy professor Jamie Smith, you are what you love or you become like what you love. Thus the insidiousness of idolatry. If, if you love something more than God, you're going to become like that thing. And in that sense, our desires become our dwelling places. Thus Paul's command, set your hearts on things above where Christ is. You know, it's, it's a very ironic thing. We, we simultaneously overestimate and underestimate the power of our will. Meaning, we overestimate uh, it in, in thinking that we can actually search for God. We, we can't. You know, the biblical narrative is one of God searching for us primarily. Of course, we're called to seek the Lord. But primarily, the biblical narrative is one of God searching for us when we are all the while hiding in the spiritual bushes. God is the ultimate seeker. If we come to God, it's because God found us and enlivened us and enabled us to respond to his gracious pursuit of us. We overestimate our role in all of this and the power of our will in, in all of that. And we underestimate the power of our will in following Jesus. I mean, these commands illustrate that. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of like Jesus' command on giving back in the Sermon on the Mount. He, remember, he said, uh, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And he concludes that with this tagline, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, for years, I took that line to mean that we give to things to which our hearts are drawn. I assumed that that's what Jesus was saying. But, but one day, I was doing some study on this and realized that's really not what Jesus said. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What he was saying was, Uh, your heart will be drawn toward that to which you give. And suddenly, giving is understood in a whole new light. Not as obligation, but as opportunity. As a very powerful tool in our hands that God has given us for our own spiritual transformation. We can direct our heart by the giving of earthly things that are of value to us. 
And this is a very practical example of setting your hearts on things above where Christ is. And it's, in, it's, incredible, uh, it's incredibly good advice, right? If, if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling in a funk, if you're feeling down, give. Not just financially. Give words of encouragement. Uh, give time. Figure out some way to give in, in the name of Jesus, right? And, and, and your heart will move that direction too. We have the capacity to direct our desiring. We can make the choice internally and say to ourselves, I choose to want that. That's what this set your heart thing is really about. In this application, I choose to desire the kingdom of God. I'm setting my heart on things above where Christ is. We can direct our desiring. We can also direct our thinking. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You know, this is, this is an invitation to all Christ followers. A, a big part of following Jesus is setting your mind on Jesus, making a decision of the will to direct your thoughts toward Jesus, to think about the Lord, to think about scriptures that cause faith to rise in your heart, to uh, think about, to remember the ways Jesus has been faithful to you in the past and made his presence known to you, remembering those times where you've been very reassured that he is exactly who he claims to be. You know, followers of Jesus do not have to be held captive by the incessant assault of our inner dialogue. In fact, the scriptures tell us to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So what that means, very practically speaking, is sometimes we need to say to some of our thoughts, nope, stop right there. You, Mr. Thought in my mind, are not obeying Jesus. You're feeding me fear and worry and hopelessness. But my life is hidden with Christ in God and Jesus is the king. He's not afraid. He is not worried. And he is my hope. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. God has given us the ability to direct our desiring and our thinking we can change the direction of those things. And those two abilities are two of the most powerful tools for spiritual formation, for living into what we believe, for actually following Jesus. And Paul is, is good to us in this. He gives us these instructions, you know, set your hearts, set your minds. He reminds us that we already have new life in God and, and he caps it off with the promise in such a way that we understand again that our relationship with God is made possible by what God has done and is doing for us, not, not on us you know, needing to get it right all the time. And here's the promise, verse four. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Just for a moment, Think about your life as a biography. 
Jesus will not be relegated to the appendix or the end notes. The first chapter of the biography of every Christian is titled Jesus. And more than that, the final chapter, the last chapter of the biography of every Christian is titled Jesus. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Following Jesus means living under this promise now and always. You know, in that sense, we've already died. And the only thing in front of us is greater life with God. And don't misunderstand me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Suffering is real. Injustice is real. Sin and hardship and heartache are real. Mourning and grieving are real. Christians should not be so heavenly minded that they are no earthly good. We should not try to act like evil is no big deal. The Lord Jesus had to die to conquer it. And Jesus calls us to work with him in making all things new. These, these things are all true. And the eternal kingdom of God is real. Every Christian everywhere can say with the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's not just wishful thinking. It's gospel truth. We have new life in Christ. We set our hearts on things above where Christ is. We set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. And we cling to the promise that we will be with Jesus forever. That the only thing in front of us is greater life with God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. God, thank you for the life that you offer us in Jesus. Thank you, God, for pursuing us. Thank you for seeking after us in all of your goodness, even while we were most offensive to you. While we were still in our sins, you died for us on the cross. Your goodness is, is truly indescribable, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon us. Cause faith to grow in our hearts. Help us become more like you this day in whatever way you're working on us. Help us not resist your work in us. And Lord, let us see again just how deeply you love us. Draw us into relationship with you today. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for all you've done for us. We pray in your name. Amen.